Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Huffbauer. I'm coming to you once again from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. Again, I am joined by Mr. Paul Edwards, who is with Cedar HR Solutions. Now, Paul has lots of experience that helps him to answer a whole bunch of your Dear Doc questions. Today, we're going to concentrate on two of them, one dealing with bonuses and one that may be a HIPAA problem. So, without further ado, Paul Let's get into this. Let me read this first letter here. Let's see here. Where did it go? I turned past it. Here we go. Hey, everyone. I need input on a bonus system set up by my accountant, and I would love to hear your thoughts, opinions, or even better recommendations. After our office has reached our monthly goal, the difference between our budgeted payroll and the actual payroll is proportioned to our employees based upon the hours worked in office. For an example, our monthly goal is $90,000. If the actual monthly collections is $100,000 for simplicity, the budgeted monthly payroll is 28% or $28,000. The actual monthly payroll was $25,000. The bonus for the month would be $3,000. My accountant says that this bonus system protects me as a business owner since I will not be given uh, not be giving beyond my budget payroll of 28% in this instance. I have not committed to the system, but I, I would love to hear your thoughts or ideas on better systems. Thank you. I think that's actually kind of a cool thought there, Paul. What are the problems with that one? I know you pulled this one because you saw something that could be a concern. Well, look, I'm, a, I'm okay with bonus systems. I think that you can incentivize people in a, a number of different ways. And I, we talked in another podcast about culture and mission and uh, bonus right? systems are kind of a, a subset of missions um, where you're giving employees constant feedback because they're they're kind of winning at it they're kind of winning at a game and it shows up in their paycheck. So right. I don't have a problem with bonus systems. And in fact, we have to craft bonus system um, descriptions and policies about those bonuses all the time. So one of the things that I uh, or a couple of things that come to mind really really quickly. This first one. Well, you know what? I'm going to make the first one I was going to talk about the last one because it's going to, it just bends your mind when I put it out there. So the, the first thing is, is we need to make sure that the, um, a policy is written about the bonus and when the bonus period is. So the bonus period begins and ends on a, on a certain date. So it usually begins on the 1st and ends on the, on the 30th. Okay. Very, very important that you signify when, when they're in the bonus system. You're also going to need to address in the bon uh, this bonus when it comes to uh, uh, maternity leave and that sort of thing. Or if someone goes on a temporary disability leave, you're going to need to make them ineligible for the bonus. So that's the next key thing is in your policies, and it shows up four or five different places, you have to, you have to address whether the employee is eligible or ineligible for the bonus. And so one of the things that we put in our policy is if the bonus period runs from the 1st to the end of the month, from the 1st to the 30th or the end of the month, you must be employed for the entire period of the bonus period, the entire time of the bonus period in order to be eligible for it. Let me rephrase that. If we fire you on the 15th, you are not entitled to any of the bonus that was accrued between right, the 1st and absolutely. the 15th. And we're making the bonus periods change out every month. So we're not looking back. Um, and, and that makes sense, too, uh, because you're incentivizing people. If, you, if the incentive shows up every four months or every three months, it's not quite as uh, 
it's not quite as exciting for them. So right. you, you definitely, in your policies, need to address eligibility wherever that might occur. Like if you go on vacation for a week, do you get a cut of the bonus? And the mm-hmm. one that our, 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 post, our person who posted um, uh, put up, you don't because your hours are going to be decreased for that uh, bonus period because you're, part of the time you're going to be out on vacation. So here's, here's another thought. Mm-hmm. If you were, and just to go back to a previous podcast, if you were sick, you get yeah. a bonus. And since you were sick, does the sick time count toward the total number of hours worked under your payroll? Well, let me, be, let me tell you, I, that brings a question that I actually can't answer right here, is I would have to research these new uh, mandatory paid sick day rules because you can't, a, a person can't be made to suffer for taking these, um, you know, required, you know, that you have to give it to them, and that may be hey, a Paul, problem. Paul, I'm here to ask the hard questions. That was a hard one. That was a hard one. So I'd have to look at that. I would say in Arizona it could be a problem, and some of the other states maybe not. But again, that's why you come to HR nerds like us. I would love for you to tag that one and yeah. uh, mark that note real quick and bring that back to us. I think that would be a really great, useful information. Okay. I'll get it. Sick days and uh, bonuses. My, my, uh, you know, I have this amazing team. I have uh, three people on our compliance team. They're, they're attorneys. Um, and I've got several attorneys that are on the solution center team. Those are the people that uh, take the calls from our members Right. Um, and, you know, we're, they're reformed. We've brought them from the light side or from the dark side to the light side. We're not a law firm there. You know, nobody's litigating here. And, and right. so um, these are the kind of questions I actually love to go out and research and, 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 uh, and, and make sure that we all have the answer to it. Well, very the last, cool. The last thing on the bonus system um, is that this matters if any of your employees work overtime during the bonus period. So let's say the period runs from the 1st to the 31st, beginning of the month to the end of the month. Okay. And an employee works overtime during that period, one of those, one of those days or, or several of those days, and they get a bonus of, say, $500. Okay? So during that month, they worked a certain number of hours. You have to take that $500, look back at that month, Add that $500 to the pay that you paid them. When you do that, it's going to raise their base rate of pay. So if you were paying them at $20 an hour, this is probably going to raise their base rate of pay at 2 or $3 per hour during the bonus period, maybe, maybe less, maybe more, depending on how many hours they work. And that's going to raise your obligation of what you were supposed to pay them in overtime when you multiplied it by time and a half. Gotcha. And so you have to issue a check in this month for that month's overtime and make the correction. And a lot of accountants don't know this, and a lot of payroll companies don't know it. I mean, a lot of them don't know it. Where this can really bite you, Chris, is if you've been doing it for a long time, and a lot of people have been working overtime, and a lot of bonuses have been given, and the bigger your team. So, you know, anytime you make a mistake as an employer on something like this around wage an hour, it's not just the one instance. It's are you multiplying this times four hygienists or hourly employees who are supposed to be being paid overtime, even if they're commissioned? I mean, I could go down this rabbit hole further and further. I just want everyone to know that if you have a bonus system and you have employees working overtime, you have to go back and refigure the amount you owe them for overtime or you won't survive the audit. 
they'll pick it up. You know, the, the thing is, uh, you make a real good point there about um, the, the power of multiplication there. Yep. Um, I have an assistant who just won't press the F2 button whenever she's displaying a, um, a schedule. Oh. So one day I walked up and said, hey, would you do me a favor and press the $250,000 button? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, we have 25 patients on this schedule right here today. Yep. As a $10,000 willful violation for every single patient that you've just shown their name to somebody else. Right. So congratulations. You've just spent $250,000 in a split second. Yeah. Would you press the button, please? And you know how what? She, since then, don't you take it? She has been really good about making sure schedules don't appear in front of patients. You know, sometimes it's how you say what you say. That makes I, had put, I had to put it in the context of what she earns versus the potential fine. Right. I didn't tell her it would be me who was fined. Right. But, you know, hey, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> so I have some good news for you. Oh, would the employee be fine? That would be amazing. <laughs> no, no, that doesn't happen. The employees yeah. never catch it. But if you have trained her and can certify that you've trained her in HIPAA, right. that fine goes from $10,000 probably down to nothing. Oh, at, I love at that. At the most, it could be maybe ten or twenty, or maybe $100. And again, you know, we all know the HIPAA police aren't rolling through our practices. You've made sure you train the employee. That's the reason why you That's, train your employees. It mitigate, it, yep, it mitigates, the, uh, it mitigates the fines and the penalties. I love it. All right. So speaking of HIPAA, okay, because I did that on purpose. Did you see how artful that was? Well, it was really artful, man. So, <laughs> you got a knack for this. You're natural. I should, I should interview people or something. Yeah, so guys, we also had a post about a business and HIPAA confidentiality agreement uh, for employees, consultants, temporary staff, and independent contractors. And so um, this was posted by one of our members, but there's some big problems here. So Paul, talk to us a little bit about this. Well, you, you want to be careful around HIPAA. The, the, the rules are not that complicated, um, but you want, don't want to do something that would give you a false sense of security or make you think that you are complying with HIPAA. So let me just be really clear how HIPAA works. HIPAA doesn't require that you train all your viewer employees. That's not what it says. It requires you train your workforce. That's different. So that's defined to include employees, volunteers, trainees. It could, it could include all kinds of other persons who might see uh, protected health information. And giving someone a form and having them testify or attest to the fact that they will protect that information doesn't do anything. HIPAA will, if you showed HIPAA that form, they, uh, uh, an investigator that form, they would look at it and just toss it over to the right. It would mm. not mitigate. What they would do, then turn and look at you and they, ask They wouldn't you, swipe left? They would not swipe left. They would, I don't know. Which way do you go on those things? Well, you said right. I think right's the good one. Left is the bad one. I haven't been single for years, so I'm, I'm they guessing. They would go left. Yeah, my, my wife used to wouldn't let me date either. I, I understand your pain. <laughs> so, uh, you won't yeah, let you date anymore. I love yeah, it. <laughs> you, you swipe left. So, um, so the, the important thing here is the training. So if you're bringing someone in for, say, a skills assessment, not a working interview, because we, we've talked about that, and they um, incidentally see a little bit of PHI somewhere, that's not a violation. That's not a, that's not a big deal. 
But if they're going to be working inside of patient charts for some reason, which I don't advise that you allow them to do, you, in order to be in compliance with HIPAA, need to have trained them before they did that. Now, the other problem that you have with, the other problem that you have here is what you really need in place is a business associate agreement. Right. You guys all know in the news, one service provider to dentists just got hacked. Mm-hmm. They got hacked and then ransomware. That was actually on before we brought you on for these uh, last three. Right. That was the previous episode. We actually covered that with um, Ruben Camp over at uh, Dark Horse about nice. some of the things they weren't doing correctly that they said they were that resulted in that. But business, a business associate agreement. Okay, so if you look at that, this is one of those little subsections of HIPAA. This is the reason for you to put a business associate agreement in place with those people. Right. Once you put your business associate agreement in place, um, health and human services understand that you can't be responsible for what someone else does. So in the BAA, those people are attesting that they understand the rules and that they're training their people and that they're following those rules. Right. So... Without the BAA in place, a crafty attorney who is suing, who would be suing them could pierce and come over and sue you as well. With the BAA right. in place, the likelihood of them being able to transcend that and, and bring you in is kind of I, put away. I have a very a good question, I believe, here. Whenever we're looking at the people we do business with, if I have a computer company that's doing something for me, I need a BAA. If I have a janitorial service in my office, I need a BAA, but I don't need a BAA with my lab. Why is that, Paul? The reason why they're not covered entities. No, they're no, they're not. But the, the reason why you don't have to have a BAA with your lab is because your lab is not receiving protected health information. And they are, it's the same reason you don't have to have one with uh, uh, a pharmacy. It, 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 they, they don't meet the criteria for the BAA to be there. Everybody else that you just discussed could see PHI, could mm-hmm. see it in a trash can, could see it on a screen left up, could see it written down on a pad. So that's, you know, that's, a, that's the brief explanation of that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say is, I want everyone out there to be careful about using common sense language when you're creating forms and stuff. So the form that I looked at had a confidentiality statement in it, which would make sense if you were using your common sense. The problem is, is that the confidentiality statement, if given to an employee, breaks the National Labor Relations Act rules around confidentiality. It's what we call in HR too broad. So basically said, if you know, if you learn anything about this practice, you can't tell anybody about it. I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what it said. Because of the way that this law is written, when we put a confidentiality statement in a policy or in an agreement, we actually have to say what it applies to and what it doesn't apply to. Right. Otherwise that could be used against the employer who put it in place. That's why they always enumerate trade secrets and or processes, yada, yada, yada. You got to be very, very specific. We we take a half, a a damn half a page to to meet the letter of the law. And again, that's why a lot of people, you know, will put the handbook in front of you and go, why is it so long? Why can't we shorten it down? And I'm like, you know, talk to your Senator about it. It's not my, it's not my fault. I'm covering the bases. (laughs) Well, guys, 
I, I think, Paul, I think that's the last one that we had for this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. We're trying to keep this one short. So, folks, thank you so much for joining us again and uh, wasting another 15 minutes listening to the sound of my voice. Paul, thank you again for sharing that 15 minutes with us and, and giving us the benefit of some of your years of knowledge. Thanks, Chris. All right, guys, have a fantastic day, and I hope to see you again on the next podcast. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.